Well, well hello. hello. Hi, Mr. Herlin. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Miss Lewerts? You know, today I'm doing pretty great. Uh, this week has been a wonky weather week. It sure has. Rainy and windy, warm and cold. Yeah, people people are just acting like they're feeling a mm. little bit different, and so got the Sunday they got those blues. Yeah, the Sunday blues before a Monday. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what what it's about. Do you think it could be the shift in our schedule? It could be, or that, or they're just you know missing this podcast so much. Yeah. Well, that's probably what but it probably is. The schedule. They need more of us in their life. They do. Yeah. So <laughs> this week we went back to school. Uh, full time in the elementary. In the elementary at the high school. Our cohorts are still coming in, but they're coming in Extended for longer. hours, yes. And you wouldn't think that an extra 10 minutes per class would be a lot. But when you're not used to doing mm-hmm. it, I think it it has an effect on kids. Sure does. So given that scenario. We found this really cool article that, which is fit perfectly, we felt, uh, by Stephen Merrill called "Too Much Focus on Learning Loss Will Be a Historic Mistake." You know, he goes, he basically starts out by saying that learning loss is real, it needs to be addressed, but how we go about it should be commensurate with the size of the moment. Yeah, what did so, you think about that statement? Well, all of, all I know that I've been hearing in the news and from other um, colleagues has been. Now we got to figure out, okay, we got to test them. We got to figure out where they, you know, how much did they, did they not learn this year? Or, you know, how are we going to figure out what are their deficits? You know, and and yes, that's important. Mm-hmm. But as we're going to kind of focus on here a little bit, there's also something called a pandemic we've just been through. Right. And like we, the thing is people are so in our, and I think it's just our type A culture. I, I think that. We, we keep talking about the fact that we have to address social emotional learning and, and that we really have to take a minute to pause. But then it's in contradiction with how they're, they're planning. Their assessments are more related to academics and not anything yeah, to exactly. do with social emotional. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I literally wrote after I read this, wow, because I think um, what he um, – sort of reveals in this article is really important for where we're all at. Um, So he starts it by saying, despite the understandable skepticism and all the adjustments and sacrifices we've grown accustomed to, a sort of miracle is materializing in the distance. So we, so I just started to think about, well, what is that Mm -hmm. miracle? Exactly. Yeah. So what, what is the miracle? Do you think that's materializing? Well, that we have an opportunity maybe to make, a large scale adjustment mm-hmm. to how we do things, right? Yeah, I think so. I think with the vaccines on the horizon, it's it's looking like we're going to be coming back um, sure. in the fall. Um, nobody knows, of course, like what's going to happen after our ninety days. Like, are we going to get another right. booster? I think um, we almost have to. How's but... that's going to be coordinated and and all that business? Um, but it's but he, I like how he says the siege appears to be lifting. And then he goes on to say that these large scales like disruptions, this. like the one ending, are now are always a hardship, sometimes a tragedy, and often an opportunity. And I think that focusing on the tragedy of the loss is is getting in the way of our looking towards the opportunities to make some. I can't say it, systemic change. 
Yeah. Yes. I, I agree. I think that I think that there's a lot that we've learned from mm. this. Um, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't do the same. Um, and we're gonna later on we're gonna try to get a group of people together to just kind of reflect on what do we want to keep from right. this hybrid well, learning model and remote learning and all that business. Yeah, it's just, you know, again, you know, our kids lost a lot, as he says, family members, connections, you know, people's emotionally well emotional well-being, financial stability. Mm. But um again, typically people focus on all that too, which is right. But oftentimes we're trying to label, if you will, I guess how to put this the right way. The people have gone through a lot of emotional issues as well. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we tend to just to focus on, okay, what did they lose academically? Right. And I think that's what's so cool about this article. Yeah, because it gets at like the equity that, yes, okay, so there might be a deficit in academic skills, but there's been um, a serious increase in their life skills because like like he said some kids were forced to do caretaking duties some kids were forced to get a job some kids couldn't even get online at all so they had to strategize about how they were going to get that information from their teachers um i mean i know from one story there was a family that would like the mother would bring mm-hmm. her four children over to the school just because oh, for wi-fi right access point right. And they would sit in their car outside of the school in the parking lot sure. so the kids could get their work done and which is you know crazy but yeah. but they but that's like really problem solving i guess yeah. you know like using those problem solving skills so that they could well, yeah, fam- get that education a lot of families don't have the internet at home or they don't have computer or they don't have um or a parents working and the kids had to take care of someone else it really brought out the inequities you know and mm-hmm. and and what people have to deal with and how they learn. Yeah, and a lot you know. of people think that it's just affecting urban communities in terms of poverty and race, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah. rural, there is a digital divide in in our rural schools too because of they call it like r- rural isolation, just because mm-hmm. we can't get access out to some places on farms or right. you know way out in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, they they quoted this article by uh what was his name burger yes was it ron Burger. Uh, this is burger yeah so the author's name was burger and he wrote an article in the atlantic and we were going to talk about that but then we were like it was really one-sided right and so we we kind of liked this perspective better because mm-hmm. it kind of shows all sides of um just looking at this time as like a hopelessly lost time. And it's an opportunity. Work. Yeah. You know, in other ways. Yeah. Well, I liked what he said, you know, as far as our children are resilient, they're not broken. Yes. And this is the key part, I think. Yes. As long as kids feel like it's their, their job is to come to school to be fixed. If they feel that's what their job is, this comes to be fixed. Their hearts won't be in their work. Yes. It's like they're, if, if our expectation is lower, mm-hmm. they're going right. to, they're only going to go to that bar that we set for them. And I think that well, that's important well, he going argued, forward. Yeah, he's arguing if we want to measure something, mm-hmm. don't measure the standardized testing and their losses. Why don't we measure the social, emotional, and psychological toll mm-hmm. of, that the kids have gone through, including adults for that matter? Oh, yeah. So I, right. if, you want to, if we're dying to, 
see what people have lost, maybe we start there first. What do you think of that? I, I think that's great. And, and I think that if we don't, if we just go back into testing for academics, mm -hmm. that it, it shows, as he says, a failure of imagination, because this is an opportunity for innovation. Yes. Um, and, and, and what, what is it that we as teachers are looking forward to mm -hmm. and, and how have we adapted, right. you know, um, for the, for all those things that we love to do during this time. Yeah. So what, what, how, I'm just going to ask you that. Okay. How have you adapted to do things that you love to do pre pandemic? Well, I just think you, um, you have to look for smaller smaller crowds if mm -hmm. you go somewhere mm -hmm. you know less try to stick to a more core group of people mm -hmm. um now you mean in do you mean in school as well just or in your life in oh, no yeah. i i mean i so yeah think, like, yeah. like like zoom karate for example right for a while instead of in person mm -hmm. um so yeah i think just wa watching a movie at home versus mm -hmm. we used to go to the, the theater every wednesday uh, you know and right we still to this day don't my wife doesn't feel as comfortable with that so it's just finding ways to kind of do the same thing more. Um, actually for us, it's also been more of a nature year. Yes. Um, a lot of hiking trails and mm -hmm. which actually has been great. And, and I think it's also been um, primary focus has been on our wellness because we've been yes. taking wellness breaks and doing mm -hmm. walks. Like as yeah. soon as the kids leave, have you kind of done, the, done the same thing in your, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, in, for example, you and I are both, you know, I consider us lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we just, we just adapted with this situation by creating right. the podcast. Cause we were like, well, we have nothing to lose, you know? And even though we don't know exactly, you know, we're, we didn't know exactly how to be like perfect podcast co-host, right. but it's like, let's try it, you know, because it's important yes. um, that we do that. Well, and, and I'm glad that we, did take that risk i felt like in the old model we would have never taken the same risk i agree and, okay and so i feel like for for the fact that we're trying to use our imagination just like Berger says you know he he's saying that if we if we only go back to these diagnostic tests it would be a terrible failure of imagination because because you you know what's going to happen to the kids who didn't get online last year because they had the support of their families or because they were homeless um, when the sorting happens, right, Berger says? Yep. They're going to be sorted in a way that only exacerbates the equity issues. And so so we're focusing on the wrong Measurement. problem. Yeah. Yeah. We should. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I think is so important. This is a historic moment. I mean, we've been essentially for over a year life has changed drastically right i and, mean we saw you know, we saw the greatest protests in history right yes. before our eyes when we were all like at yes. home it's stuff that we haven't seen on newsreel as right. kids and in, in, no and you know like, i never have and well in in history class right in hist when you, yes when you see mm -hmm. it on the civil sure. rights yes. you know um when we were taught that so, so so then he goes on to talk about like that we wanted we're doing more harm than good True. if we continue in this path. So, well, the federal government, well, yeah, the federal government's not helping in this in this aspect as mm -hmm. far as um, you know standardized testing. New York asked for a waiver, and basically, we're, we're denied. And now we're doing all these these tests that are going to 
say, what did students learn? Well, we already can answer that pretty easily. So now you're putting students through more tests to label them, to put them in groups, to, you know, and I think that can do more harm than good. What about all the other factors that came into play? You know, why don't we focus on the social and emotional needs first? Right. Uh, you know, self-worth, safety, academic, you know, the confidence academically is huge. Right. And you know? he, and so what, what there, what this author and his name is Stephen Merrill is advocating yes. for is more of an asset based exactly. culture. Yep. And so as a definition, um, asset based culture in a school views the diversity of students, the, the diversity that students bring to the classroom. This can include their culture, language, disability, their socioeconomic, uh, economic status, um, immigration status, sexuality, as characteristics that add value and strength to classrooms and communities. And wow, that is that is a lot it is. more um, whole child than just a, a diagnostic test. Well, and one of the things that we, you know, followed up and it relates to this, you know, is that um, Angela DiMichele, I think it's Laylor, yes. um, actually gave a nice... Um, kind of an over, nice overview of three steps to developing that kind of approach in your teaching. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe we could quickly touch base on that. Yes. And so this is, um, we, we, we took a little bird walk because we were like, hmm, asset-based um, learning or asset-based culture. What is that? And so we wanted to learn a little bit more about that. Um, and, and the whole philosophy behind it is children will rise, as we were saying, to the expectation. So set that bar high. Um, and these are the three steps that you can use yeah, for an asset-based approach in your classroom. If you don't know, you're probably already doing it. Yeah. Can I um, just say one thing real fast that really struck me? Yeah, you can say whatever you um, want. I, you know, I mean, I didn't want to interrupt you either, but. Oh, thank you. Uh, but I did anyway, so sorry. <laughs> so, uh, but one of the things I had started here um, right before we get into all that, um, if students only hear the gaps in their learning, Mm -hmm. or that they fall behind, they will begin to act accordingly. Like you mentioned, um, we, if we have high bench, if we have a high expectation, they'll rise to it. And this asset-based approach as we're talking about is kind of cool because it's more of what can they do? What can they do as opposed to what's my area or areas of weakness? What can't I do? Right. And because so it's kind of depressing if you're like, you can't write. You don't know how to make a claim. But here, have a growth mindset. Right. Whereas if we're focusing on what they do add, it, you know, that does isn't just only academic, then mm -hmm. they get to embody that growth mindset. Right. Because it's just encouraged. You know, it's a part of our culture. So what do you have for us? Three steps? Yeah. So to begin with, um, if you want to include this and infuse this in your classroom, some three steps that you can use is you can do a diagnostic learning activity to figure out what um, students know prior to giving them um, that lesson. So for example, you know, in, in when we were going to school, they did an anticipatory set, which was just like a question. Mm -hmm. We do KWL charts. Sure, that hook or that, you know, that mm -hmm. you have to get everybody. No, you know, what do I know? Right. What do I want to know? What, do, yep. you know, what have I learned, learned after yep. they do it? You might do a quick write. Um, a lot of times my I do a um, Padlet with a mm -hmm. discussion question that's around the topic sure. that I'm going to take them into. Yeah, like and I'll do. What like, do you do? Yeah. Well, typically um, some kind of a bell work, but like, for example, um, seventh grade, we're in the Revolu American Revolution. So on Monday when they come in, they'll have a um, 
we throughout the year we've been working on historical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And so when they come in, they'll have a, a actually it's a, a political cartoon. Oh, it's nice. like it reminds me of David. Well, it is. It's like David and Goliath, mm -hmm. but it's a red coat is the Goliath and David is the patriot. Yep. And so we're asking, you know, what's point? What's the point of view of the author, of the artist in this? You know, um, what's the historical context behind it? So again, those types of things to try to, you know, to get a sense of, you know, where are their weaknesses, and then how can we address them? So, yeah. And what are they? What are they bringing to their learning? Right. And so we can identify essentially here are your strengths, what you're doing well, and then here's a, a plan maybe that you could do to improve. Mm -hmm. And and I think it benefits in a, in a classroom full of different voices mm -hmm. that like they get other kids' perspectives. Yeah. So maybe if they didn't know something or they hadn't thought of it in a particular way, listening to their classmates on uh -huh. something like that can, well, well, can such, just spark their engagement. Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the skills or the, the concepts or the standards and see where they're at. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really what it boils down to. Yes. And then this is our favorite. Um, so the second way that you can do it is provide learning pathways so that all students have the opportunity to meet high expectations. Um, and I know for us, it's it's definitely with um, our playlists. Yep, exactly. Um, so another way that they that they suggested. I do um, like so this. They gave three different pathways and the one was pathway B. It's called... Um, it includes additional activities for students' practice and application. For example, students use C, statement, evidence, and explanation as a cognitive routine for explaining the connection between the central idea and the evidence from the text. So I really like this Me for too. a way for when we're teaching them about writing. If we mm -hmm. just use that C, it's a much easier yep. way. We use well, something you, called REAP. You know? Yes, and you could, but you could also take that in, in, to the next level. Um, and you know, again, how can you see it, which is cool, like mm -hmm. see it from a new point of view too, Yes, which is huge because history is about perspective. Yes. We can see the same thing we you literally can see the same event happening. We have different ideas of what happened. Yes. I and love so it. that's huge for our students to understand not only in history, but other, other things as well. Well, in English, it plays out with, I, I love, I, I put a gallery of pictures on my wall mm -hmm. and kids write in their journal mm. and that picture is an inspiration in creative writing. Okay. And not one child will have the, the same, same thing. creative right. story yeah. because of what they They're, bring to their writing. Exactly. And it's their and life it's, experiences, all the things you've been through. So sure. fun. Um, cool. And the final one is feedback um, because it feedback if for formative assessment um and then, and then to look at what each kid's strength is, start with their strength, what do they need, and next steps for their improvement. And I really liked this quote. Um, it mm -hmm. says, it's important to note that not all students need to see, receive the same feedback at the same time. The formative assessment moment exists as an opportunity for students to receive the feedback they need when they need it. And I think for a teacher, that's good to know because yeah. then it takes the pressure off because yeah. you wouldn't have to do that for everybody, uh, right? You know, at the same time, when you see it, you address it. Yeah, and it's like sort of more organic how yes. that happens. So, well, and and I felt better. Like I was like, oh no, yeah, when no, I me taught too. asset based learning. Yeah. Did you think, oh no, are we doing that? Because yeah. I, I was like, oh, we're definitely not doing that. And I think we are. We totally. Yeah. Yes. And I like this this last little part here. Okay. When teachers begin to look at what students understand, no one can do. Mm -hmm. It changes the way the teacher and, the, and their students approach learning. So, again, 
small steps lead to larger ones. Yes. You know, and that's like whether it's losing weight or whether it's learning. Yes. Right. Or building muscle, whatever the case may be. It's those small steps in the right direction. Yes. And and, and for us, it's so easy to integrate it um, into your classroom. You know, simple gestures like greeting the kids at the door, you know, um, so that, you know, everybody, everybody's welcome. It's, it's like you have, you have elements in your classroom that are inclusive. Well, having an adult that cares about them. Yeah. It comes back to relationships. It's It's all about relationships. Yes. Go ahead. You, you say it the bottom there, right? Like that quote. Oh, I love it. Yes. I started. I know. The presence and quality of our relationship have more of an impact on learning and development than any other factor. And then so he goes true. on to say, yeah, that, that re- relationships is really what equals engagement. And I have to say in this hybrid model, I think that's, that's what we've lost the kids, most. Well, for some, but I feel like in a way with some kids with those classes, because they're so small. Well, as far as addressing the needs more. Yes. Yes. I like, feel like we've gained it. Yes. So in two ways. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about, mm-hmm. um, having the smaller classes, you can give better feedback. It's easier to target. Absolutely. What I do think is missing though. And I just say that because every time we have um, a beginning of the day and the end of the day, mm-hmm. I usually have five to 10 kids come in yeah. who just want to talk. Yeah. And that we've used to, we used to have that with lunch, mm-hmm. you know, kids would come by and visit or yep. there was ninth period after school. So that I do feel has been more of a loss. Because of the hang, we can't not really hanging out anymore. Yep. And they're not hanging out with each, each other, other as much. Right. And I'm I'm feeling that that yeah. they're missing that too. So that part of it's, but having said that, the relationships, I, they it, they're still important. They still happen. Mm-hmm. It's just not as easy. Mm-hmm. Much like we talked about before, you know, you're not. It's not as easy to go to the movies or whatever. It's not as you know you could do it, but you got to be careful. Yeah. So ultimately, we want to rise to the occasion. We do. And we don't we don't want to just look at this whole time as a loss because I think it would be a mistake. You know, there have been gains. Um, There's been opportunities that we have we've been able to take care of. Um, Or is that what I meant to say? I think so. Okay, so so he says maybe it's time to consider that the emerging science of learning and national oh, reckoning so good. with unfairness and inequity are pointing us in the same direction. Perhaps size, the size of the moment requires a commensurate response. That's key. We have a better sense of the tools we need to do the job and a clearer sense of the size and nature of the problems. Um, and then he goes on to say, can we, should we, in the aftermath of the clarifying events of last year, find the will to challenge the testing regime return some agency to both our teachers and our students, bring the science of learning into our classrooms and honor all children with challenging and engaging work that ushers in a new, better, fairer era era of education. What What a way to end. A great question. Yeah, that's great. You know, we've been through a lot. Everyone's been through a lot. We've reflected a lot. There's been so much going on. Now's the time for a reset. Mm -hmm. And there's our bell. There's our bell. Well, this was great. Yes. So glad we could break off a piece of the chalk again. Bye, everybody. Have a a wonderful week. See you next time. Yeah. Bye. Oh, thank you.